Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you 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 pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got John Skidmore. And in our interview, we talk about, again, it's very important issues about having a a great mindset how to deal with uh anxiety, what we call butterflies, uh pre, post, and during game issues. Um, these topics we're starting to hit on a lot more because it kind of brings um the mental aspect to the game, to the sport of basketball. Let's get into the interview. Again, thanks for being on the on the podcast, Triple Vet Podcast. And um, what I wanted to uh, get into first is having you tell the audience, you know, your your background, where you're from and, you know, how you really got to the point where you're at now. And, and did you have um, sports that you uh, were involved in sports, you know, growing up and as, as, a, as, a, as a young John? Yes. Yes. You know, I actually grew up in a place called Logan, Utah, which is the top of the state of Utah. And sports was a really important thing. I saw the emergence of little league football. Like yeah. that was a thing as it just started. And that was really lots of fun. And, you know, did little league football and baseball. And um, as I moved through my neighborhood and my friends, sports were just always what we were doing. For sure. And then um, as I got into junior high, um, music became more of my thing. Got it. Got it. So I, I was actually in the marching band, not on the football team. And that was part of one of my questions um, before we really get into the, in, in the meat of things is um, how how does music and sports relate to each other? Right. From a from a from a mindset level. Can you can you catch us up with that? You know, whatever we choose to do, if you want to play chess if you're going to be a surgeon, play basketball, football, sing a solo, play the piano, um, we're bringing our mindset right. to whatever it is we're doing. Right. If you're going to be in sales, you're bringing your mindset. Right. And so really the characteristics of peak performance, and this is one thing I found quite fascinating. It doesn't matter if we're talking about basketball or bowling. Right or you know something in the music field we're having to bring that mindset right and the skills of performance really are quite universal that's one of the things that's so interesting when you look at the experience of flow that peak performance kind of moment uh those characteristics are universal yes i got into this with musicians because i got interested in sports psychology Mm. i was working on a master's degree in uh, counseling and suddenly it's like, well, what's this sports psychology thing? And this was back in the day when sports psychology was just emerging. Right. It was just starting to become a thing. And suddenly I'm talking to the track coach. And I'm talking to other coaches that I know, like, okay, what's what do you do here? And how are you doing these things with your with your tracksters? And it's like, well, these are the tools. And it's like, wow, they apply to you know the track and field just as much as they do performing on a stage. Yes. They're really the principles of performance psychology or optimal psychology. As we're trying to figure out how to best bring our skill set mm. to whatever venue we're in. Right. And that's really one of the most important things about it, how to right. do that. Right. And, um, you know, talking, I want to focus on the mindset, but I know, John, we're going to have a couple of different conversations, but I want to stick within the intermediate level, middle school mm-hmm. age. We can talk about the high school and college, you know, in our um, future conversations, but talk about the mindset at that age level, because 
we talked about the the cognitive development, right? Mm-hmm. From those young age kids in in middle school development, and 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 talk about the anxiety and the mindset that, that they need to have or preparation, you know, in 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 that age group and that in that grade level. You know, one of the first things I like to have um, that teen group, that young teen teen group, understand is that their brain already sees things in all or nothing. It's like win or lose. It's good or bad. Now, this is part of brain development from very early in our life because everything was safe or dangerous or not. Right. And so to be able to look at this and start to say, okay, I need to recognize that my thoughts go from one extreme to the other. And, you know, the idea that teenage years can be tumultuous, you know, teenage years can be difficult. Well, part of it is they're recognizing that the all or nothing doesn't fit very well as they're growing up. Mm. And so what we got to do is help them recognize somewhere between all and nothing is a place called middle ground. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be their first response. Their first response is more than anything, more likely going to be a reaction to this is bad. This is good. And they're going to have all those emotions that come with that. Right. And so when it comes to cognitive development of the teenager, the young teenager, one of the first things I like to help them recognize is their brain is always scanning for things that could hurt them. Mm. First and foremost, it's always scanning for dangers. Mm. And second, it's scanning for things that are like pleasurable or interesting or good. Because that's really a very basics of pleasure and pain. And so anytime we learn something that is dangerous, it's going to show up again. Right. And when it does, we have a, a response, a conditioned response to it. Now, this could be a glance from a parent. This could be a word from a coach. This could be, you know, making a mistake, that foul shot that they missed. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it's like, oh, I am so bad at this. I'm so terrible. I've lost the game. My life is over. There's no hope for me anymore. I I suck at basketball. I can't play basketball. I'm not any good at this. And so one of the first things from a cognitive development standpoint I love to talk about is let's learn to notice and embrace the first response as a first response and then start to go to, well, what could be a second response? Hmm. What could be a third response? Hmm. That requires a different part of the brain. Right. And so my first response is I'm done with this. I'm never going to play again. Okay, that's just the first response. What would be a second response? Wow, um, I need to practice the plays a little bit. I didn't have that play locked in. Right. It just was not locked in. And I threw it this way, and I should have thrown it that way, and everybody laughed at me, and I felt so bad and terrible. See, those are developmental things. Those are normal things that occur as kids are learning how to play basketball. Right. And so one of the first things I would say is they've got to normalize that reaction call it a first response, and recognize their power starts to come when they say, well, what's my second response? What's going to be my third response to this? Right. Rather than just getting lost in that wave of energy and emotion. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, therapies. And, okay, if you're talking to someone or you're doing it yourself, it's all different type of therapies, right? And what you just mentioned was first was the cognitive therapy. I want to mention three more and have you kind of relate to them as well. Um, um, behavioral yes. therapy, right? Um, and you're talking about practice and and um, and uh, not reinforcement, but uh, uh, what I'm looking for the over being redundant in your in your in your in your practice and your movement. Talk about behavioral therapy and how does that relate to um, getting kids. Um, to perform at an optimum level? You know, I would probably use a different word besides behavioral therapy. Okay. See, behavioral therapy implies there's something broken, there's something wrong that we've got to fix. Right. Okay. Um, one of my favorite, in fact, I'm just looking, I don't have any juggling balls handy. One of my favorite things to describe what you're describing is skill development, motor skill development. Now, if you're to think of the experience of learning how to juggle, anybody on a basketball court is going to have one-third of juggling no matter what. They can throw the ball from one hand to the other hand. Yep. They could do that. 
They do it all the time, right? Right. Well, two-thirds of juggling is a little more tricky. And so just like dribbling is a basic skill, I mean, this is why in so many, I mean, you know about the importance of those basic skills. You just practice those basic skills. You do the drills. You, you know, you do the drills. Well, this is about developing skills. When I teach someone how to juggle, one of the first things I notice is lots of kids, they call this juggling. It's like a ball in each hand, and they'll go, they'll throw one ball up, and they'll hand the other ball over. And they're calling this juggling because somewhere they learned how to do the hand over kind of thing. Right. Well, that's the neural pathway. And so what I really see here that's so important, and I know as a coach, one thing I'm sure you're really stressing is really the solid basic fundamentals. Can we really get those down? Right. To effectively juggle, you go up, up. You don't go up, over. Mm. But I can always see kids who've got this neural pathway already existing. I go up and I go over. And, boy, to get them to change that, they have to do a lot of thinking. They have to do a lot of, like, mm -hmm. up. No, no, I want, I want to go up, up. Oh, it went over again. Oh, it went, but it went clear over there. Mm -hmm. And so pretty soon they get the up, up part of that versus up, over. Right. And so one thing I would really look at here is a sense of patience and progress with mm -hmm. motor skill development and where they're at in developing their skills, the behaviors, the solid skill set for basketball. Rather than the expectation, I should be at this level. Mm -hmm. I mean, expecting, you know, a 14-year-old to be the level of, you know, Stephon Curry, uh, that's just not going to be very realistic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But how often do they go into a negative space when they miss that shot and they're feeling like they failed, they let their team down, they couldn't do this right, they shouldn't have missed that shot? And so that's where the cognitive and the behavior really come into play because the, the goal is to have the skill set down to where they don't have to think about it. And, and I, and I, I yell a lot, a lot to my players. I say repetition is the mother of learning, right? Mm -hmm. The muscle memory and right. really it's not the muscle it's the cognitive approach that you're thinking about what you're doing. Like you said, they want to go up over when it's up, up. Right. So when kids repetitive, repeat, 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 eventually they end up turning it over because their muscle memory have adjusted to their thought processes, right? Yes. Yeah, thank you for clearing it up when the behavior part, because I just want the audience to understand that all these different things goes into the development per se. Yes. And the other one I want to mention is obviously you can tell I'm in school, John. So all these, I'm like, man, this is a great question to ask John and see how you can relate it to different therapies. Another one is um, humanistic. Is that yes? Humanistic, and um, it talks about. I guess you know, in my reading, it talked about having a acorn think it can be an oak tree, right? Putting a lot of confidence in the kids, telling them that you can be this great student, this great player if you do X, Y, Z. Um, talk about that approach and how it relates to um, uh, performance. You know. When we really come back to that humanistic perspective, it's really founded for me, as I understand it, in a space of acceptance. This is the kind of thing we experience and do as human beings. And we want to be able to bring that goodness out of us and really bring the greatness out of us. Now, when I think of building self-esteem, um, it's often encouragement is actually like a, a two-edged sword as far as I'm concerned. Yes. On one hand, we need to have that feedback that says, hey, we made the right move. We did that the right way. The elbow was in the right place. The hand followed through. This is what we want. That's what, yes, that's good job. Great. You know, keep doing that. It's not like not that. It's no, it follows through. Right. And so um, we need that feedback as far as a corrective kind of experience. Mm. And what I see happens too often is when kids are looking for the validation, they don't hear the feedback very well. They, all good they're point. hearing is, was I good or was I bad? Good point. And when the coach is saying, you know, raise your elbow, do this, do that. Oh, God, he doesn't like me. Um, okay, he's being critical. I tried really hard. Um, and so I love encouraging supportive environments. I think by and large, there's a trend, a shift, especially in sports, and I'm hoping it's working in there. Uh, the angry, critical, uh, demeaning coach, I'm hoping, is on their way out. I, Me too. Totally agree with that. 
oh, I, I've talked to too many people in athletics and, and, and really throughout life where that angry critical coach who's trying to motivate and correct through harshness or negativity um, <clears throat> really is doing more damage than good. And I, re- I, and I recognize some of those coaches don't really understand ages and stages in development, right? I think right. they're more involved in their their personal expectations and not understanding kids' development, you know, understanding the, how they develop. So that's one reason why they yell, because they can't get through. They have no create, create, creative, uh, not being create, creative in their approach with kids. Well, and they may actually be, I mean, that's kind of like the old school approach is the more you got yelled at, the harsher the coach was, the better you'll perform out there on the field. And what we really know today and understand that the receiver who, you know, dropped the pass or the young man who misses the foul shot, well, he's got a percentage. Yes. Yes. He's going to get 50%. Man, that'd be great for a 13-year-old. Right. Okay. But is he going to get 100%? No. Right. Okay, maybe he's got 70%. That's a really you know, great percentage, right? right? But, okay, so getting angry actually interferes with and creates all kinds of negative emotions. We could spend a whole hour just on this alone For sure. in the sense that the more negative the coach becomes or the parent becomes um, in a sense of correcting, well, it doesn't become corrective. It becomes hurtful. Yes. And so – what I really encourage parents to do um, and coaches to do is first off recognize there's nothing more important than the relationship they have with that child, whether the player or with their own child. And then we don't want to connect harshly or in anger or demeaning. I mean, I talked to a young man who missed the field goal in the last 30 seconds of the football game. Unfortunately, he felt such a burden placed upon him by his angry coach. He felt he lost the game. And he was literally suicidal. Oh, man. And, and I mean, this is horrible. Yeah. Now, of course, that doesn't, you know, here he's thinking he lost the game, but he's not noticing that it was a fumble in the first quarter and an interception in the second quarter. And, you know, all kinds of team experience was a part of this. All he was locked into this belief is I lost the game. Right. Right. I failed. In this timeout message, we got Coach Bobby Crimmins. He said, Bobby, it's Division One. It's a Division One school. And my the athletic director was my tennis coach. And I just got off the phone with him, and he, he agreed to give you an interview. Mm. So I drove from Columbia to Boone. And actually, he met me in Charlotte the first time. No, I went to Boone the first time. First time I went to Boone, and they interviewed me in Boone. I came back. I wasn't sure what I was doing. I was, I was 26 years old. What was your record at USC at the time? Well, I was a, I was assistant coach. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I was only. I worked for Coach Guire for two years. And I was 26 years old, so I was a little, I didn't, wasn't sure what I was going to do. Right. Well, the next thing I know, they, um, they offered me the job. Now let's get back to the interview. Now, I, I love anything positive coaches do, and it's amazing how important sports is throughout a young man's developing life, young women's developing life. Um, but it's just so important to recognize that that sense of self-esteem comes from Inner. recognizing we're learning, we're growing, we're discovering. Now, one of my favorite things is to help students design, help players design a mindset for their practices, design a mindset for their game. And then the challenge becomes, how do we stay in that mindset during the game? Mm -hmm. So if you miss the foul shot and suddenly you went into this negative beat yourself up space, it's like, no, that's not the bold, the confident, the aggressive I want to be. I don't need to be aggressive to myself here. This is like, you know, the bold, confident player misses the foul shot and he's still on the court. Right. He's still playing. Um, I was actually doing a little clinic with my son's basketball team. In junior high. This yeah. is perfect. 
I asked the coach, you know, what's one of your major concerns? And he basically said exactly what you're describing. When something goes wrong, they get so negative. Right. And I had a raw egg in my pocket. I'm on the basketball court. Kids are on the bleachers. I'm talking to him. And I reached in my pocket and reached it, pulled the egg out. I said, what do we normally do? What do we say when this happens? And I dropped the egg and it splats on the floor. And these kids almost like, oh, my gosh, like, like the worst thing in the world just happened. And it was the perfect metaphor to describe the problem with his team. It's like they're standing around saying like, oh, the egg got busted. Look, you screwed that up or I'm bad. It's like, no, the play's going on. It's already moving. Mm. We don't have time to look at the egg that splatted on the floor. Mm. Right, right. You know, and so we don't want to get stuck in that. Sure, we're going to make mistakes. And I think really one of the most important things that helps the developing self-esteem of young players is they have permission to not do it right. That we're not expecting you to do this right all the time. Exactly. exactly. In other words, we're progressing, we're discovering, we're learning. This is the perfect place to do this. And let's go out there and do that tonight. And so when a student, when a player can come back and say, okay, what did I learn from this game tonight? Mm -hmm. Is the idea that they can take themselves mentally off the court is very real. It's like I'm so angry at myself, so upset, feel like I failed, let the team down, all those different things that they, you know, they can go to. Um, they're no longer on the court in a bold, aggressive, focused, confident kind of way. Right. Um, have you ever watched a player, like, get set for the shot and then suddenly, like, I got to pass this. I don't think I'll make it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. See, in that moment, they're they're wanting to take the shot, but they don't want to miss the shot. So what do they do? They pass it off. Mm. Mm. And rather Put than processing them with that, too. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you're set for the shot, this isn't about are you going to make it or miss it. This is about you follow through. You just you look at that hoop. You just go. You just do it. Right. So that's when we're in the flow of things. Right. Um. But when we start to get, you know, wrapped up in fears, doubts, worries, these kinds of things, then it's like, oh, I could, no, pass it off. Now, there's definitely times to pass it off. Right, right. <laughs> there's lots of times to pass it off, but you what know you, what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. <laughs> what, what do you relate? What's the difference between psychodynamic and a cognitive approach? Ah, interesting. Um. The difference really is um, recognizing that in a cognitive approach, the thoughts, the words, they are powerful. Those thoughts, those words become the path we travel down. If we say this is an easy, easy path, it becomes an easy path. Mm. This is a okay path or a boring path or no, this is really a hard path. Mm -hmm. This is too hard of a path. No, this path is so hard. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, that's really focusing on the cognitive, the words saying, what are these words mm -hmm. doing for me? Am I following this path? Where am I going? What am I discovering here? Well, it's going to be based on the words we're using to describe it. Mm -hmm. When you look at a psychodynamic approach, now, the psychodynamic approach, that's, a, that's kind of a psychobabble term for, okay, how have I learned from a very early age of my life to view the relationships, mm. the psychological dynamics of the relationships that are a part of my life. Mm. And how do I relate to these things? Um, for example, um, <clears throat> oh, I, I often joke about from a psychodynamic perspective, the root of all performance anxiety is in potty training. That's a good point. That's a See, good point. Yeah. There comes a point in time, see, a child's unaware of, has no concern about what's coming in or out of their body. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no control. There's no expectation for control. Mm. And there's no concern about it. It's just a mess that gets cleaned up. It's just mm. part of life. It's natural. But there comes a day where it's like, okay, potty training. We created an expectation. Mm. We now have an expectation that, you know, big boys go potty in the toilet. That's just mm. what they do. You know, mm. that kind of thing. And so we really go through this experience of, and think about this from a, a young ball player. Limited to no awareness. 
no control, no expectation to control, expectation, awareness. And then what happens if there's an accident? What happens if there's a miss of mm -hmm. some sort? Mm -hmm. And so the psychodynamic part of this is to look at it and say, how does this describe our relationships and our experience with relationships in the past? Right. And then we tend to like bring our past experiences into the right. current circumstances. Mm -hmm. So we have the basketball player who learned that making mistakes was a big deal. They're bad. You shouldn't have accidents. You shouldn't make mistakes. Don't do anything ever wrong. Now, all of us have a lot of that in our brains. I mean, we've, we've been coached on that. We've all got a bunch of that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, that's part of growing up. But, okay, let's say that 14-year-old who gets stuck in that idea of I can't make a mistake, I can't miss a shot, I can't have an accident, I can't have a problem, no messes on my court kind of thing. Well, they're going to out there, they're going to have a whole different level of anxiety, not because the circumstances is any more dangerous on the court than somebody else. It's the background they're bringing with them. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have these conditioned reactive responses that can really uh, kind of show up. And if we don't understand them, we react. Um, in one of my workshops I do, uh, I'll often pull a big old plastic rattlesnake out of a bag. A real rattlesnake? No, plastic. Okay. I, I, well, for that, that very reason. I would be out the class if that was the case. <laughs> well, you know, I made a mistake one time. Um, I had this really nice looking gym bag on the side of my stage. I had my plastic rattlesnake inside of it. Now, I mentioned it was now time for my visual aid. Mm -hmm. So I go over to the plastic bag or the gym bag. I approach it as if it were a live rattlesnake. Mm. And I'm carefully unzipping that. I'm looking, okay. And I open it up really far and I reach down really dramatically and grab it like, like this. Well, almost everybody had an initial reaction of like, oh, that's, that's not going to be real. Mm. Okay. Unfortunately, there was one person in the audience that had an experience with a venomous snake. Mm. He'd been bitten as a kid. Mm. I grabbed that snake. It's plastic. He got up and he shot right out of the auditorium. I mean, he was out of there. Mm. Now, that was, that was such a triggered response, a very painful response. And since then, I've, that was one of my, I call it <laughs> a mistake on my part. I don't do that anymore because I don't right. want to run the risk people so in any, right. anytime i do it now i do it very carefully like oh let's look at this now right you know, long very slowly to realize this, it's not a live snake right uh, but there's still that reaction to it so we can have things that react to us emotionally of things we learned a long time ago that get transferred into our current situation right um in, in that sense every coach um whatever they try to share with their players it's landing on their history. And there's some positive things in that history. And there's some negative things in that history. Correct. Uh, you probably noticed that some kids can handle a criticism and it's no big deal. Right. You say something a little bit negatively and they're like they're falling apart. Hmm. You know, and so becoming aware of that and um, becoming more sensitive to that, you know, what do we need to do to you know, create a great environment here? Um, it's just important to recognize that our relationship to how good we are, are we right, are we safe, are we bad, are we wrong, that's a pattern we all learn very early in our lives. Yes. And it often shows up with coaches. It shows up with, um, you know, opponents, with the sport. Um, I've talked to lots of people who doesn't matter what they're doing. They've lost the love, the connection, the the fun of it because they feel like they're getting beaten up by the basketball. Yes. I go out there and get made a fool of. Right. And that's why they that's why they have these all these pent up emotions. And when we talked about, you know, before I actually put a uh connect a word with it, before it was butterflies. Butterflies yeah. in your stomach before the games. So yeah. now it's really called anxiety, right? Yes. Um Talk about, again, the mindset on how a kid can help regulate some of those negative emotions when it comes to butterflies and anxiety and um, 
what are some ways that they can do to kind of like have a better approach to the game and not having so much butterflies pregame? Got it. Well, one of my first and favorite things to do uh, is to help them really understand it's not butterflies and it's not even anxiety. It's actually their sympathetic nervous system is now activated. Mm. So if as a coach, as you know, as players can eliminate the word anxious, nervous, scared, worried, stressed, what they're really describing is I'm activated. My sympathetic nervous system is activated. So here's a really simple way to describe this. Our brain has two halves. So you think of the, the halves of the brain as my fists, right? Mm-hmm. So we have an amygdala, which is right between the ears. That's the fight or flight response, the stress response. Then we have all the other brain matter over the top of that, our frontal cortex. So what I, how I like to describe it is this. When our brain is working the way it's supposed to, it's looking like this. But if we get activated by something, it goes. Mm. So the amygdala that was kind of buried deep is now fully in charge, and it says fight or flight, and it's usually flight. Mm. So fight, flight, or freeze. So I call this the ABCs of the brain. Mm. And it's A is activated, yes, but am I in danger? See, our amygdala has act, been activated, but am I in danger? Mm. I'm not in danger. Okay. B stands for the body. That flood of adrenaline and that juice is there. We want to be excited to go out there and play ball. We want it to be excited. But we don't want to be so nervous that we can't think straight, focus, engage in the game. So we're activated, yes, but are we in danger? No. Well, if our anxiety is so much it's interfering, we got to bring it down. And that's where breathing exercises and mindfulness can really make a difference. Here's one of my simplest. I've got a whole bunch of tools that I use, but here's one of my favorite. And you can, I'd love to hear how you try this with one of your groups sometime and just see what kind of response you get from this. So first off, they've got to know that they've been activated, but they're not in danger. Mm -hmm. If we're in danger, we're going to go with that until we declare ourselves safe. Right. So activated, yes. In danger, no. Okay. We got to find the balance again in the body. We got to restore balance to the body. We do that through breathing exercises. Mm-hmm. And so here's one of my favorite. You take a nice big breath in. Body, I'm safe. Time to relax. Then you just grab your little finger like this and you breathe it in. Body, relax. Body, relax. Body relax. You really want to pay attention to the the finger squeeze here. Mm -hmm. Body relax. Body relax. Then with the other hand, you go, I'm bold. Mm. I'm confident. I'm aggressive. I'm focused. Mm. I got this. I want to go play. See, anytime we step out there on the court, we want a certain level of activation going on and energizing level here. If it's too high, that's going to be a problem. If it's too low, that's going to be a problem. Mm. And so the idea that we can be excited, yeah, we can be. Um, So really, a lot of it is the mindset, the cognitive stuff saying, okay, I'm excited. I'm ready to play. Fear and anxiety comes when they're thinking things like, what if I mess up? What if I don't do it right? What if we lose? Um, what if I, you know, whatever it is, whatever I do, you know, if I don't mm-hmm. play good, oh, wow, look how tall that guy is. I'm supposed to guard him while I'm in trouble. Right. That kind let, of stuff. let me ask you a question. Does, from the personal experience, whenever I would play games pre-game, what helped me, it wasn't the cognitive approach or the breathing. It was a snicker. Okay. Right? I ate a Snicker bar and and I feel better. Can mm-hmm. you explain why? Is because of the the sugar? Did it calm my receptors down? Like what happened in that in that stand? You no, know, there's probably a number of different things there, and that became part of what I call a pre-performance routine. Mm. Okay, so this is something I've discovered mm. that's going to help me be at my best. And so obviously the Snicker bar became part of that. Became part of that. This is the pattern I want to follow. This is what I like to do. I'm, I eat a Snicker bar. Okay. Well, obviously, there's going to be a surge of adrenaline. Your part of your brain that says, ooh, this is good, and this is, tastes good right this very second. I like this. 
that captures your attention. So you're not thinking about how tall that guy was, you yeah. know, it's like, you know, well, you know, that guy is like really tall, <laughs> you know, he's really fast. Right. You know, just, you just get really caught up in the moment of it. And it would certainly give you a little bit of burst of energy that way in terms of the uh, insulin and all the stuff that gets, you know, dumped into the brain and the body that way, the glucose. But what I think is important here is that was something that worked for you. Right. Okay. Whenever we're in that pre-performance stage or phase, we want to be doing things that work for us and that we know are healthy. This breathing exercise, body I'm relaxed or I'm bold, I'm confident, is certainly going to be a lot healthier than walking around stressing out and worrying whether or not you're going to have a good game tonight. Right. Okay. And so what ends up happening is we've got to be able to balance the physical and the cognitive. Let me just jump back just a little bit and I'll take take another second to do this. Let's go. If we're activated, but we don't know we're in, and we're not in danger, we can start to say, let's calm down. Let's do the breathing exercise stuff. C stands for correct thinking, the cognitive stuff. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm here to play. I'm a competitor. I'm confident. I'm excited. That's what I want to do. Yep. Then we get to D stands for decide and then go engage in that and go do that. In other words, our brain gets all freaked out. No, let's bring it right back in. And what's the focus? The focus is I've got skills. I've been practicing. I got a game to play. I'm a competitor. I'm working. I'm, you know, across the court, other side of the court's a competitor. We're here to have fun this afternoon, have fun this evening. And I want to bring my best game. And this time our segment, we got Jay Christmas. No matter what it was, I was trying to let him know he was doing a good job. And then once he got comfortable and I saw him grow, I was monitoring what I was doing. And so I started then implementing a little bit of negative reinforcement. This is, you know, and then, and then again, trial and error, but it was working. For sure, for sure. It was, uh, it, it was working, so... Um, I was happy with the results. And so I always, and then I always made sure he played with older kids. For sure. Um, I wanted him, I did not want him being the best kid on the field. Now let's get back to the interview. So, so you're saying from a personal standpoint, it's not your job to avoid those triggers. It's your job to kind of, because you need, like you said, you can't go too high or go too low. Your job is to mentally, physically find that 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 midpoint, that nice balance, but yeah. not to avoid the um the 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 butterflies or anxiety or the activation per se. You put you got to really manage it, what you're suggesting. Typically, the more we try to avoid that sense of activation, the more upset we get about it, the more we try to control it the more it increases, Mm. which is the opposite effect of what we want. Um, One simple little strategy with that sense of activated is really, so what? Mm. I'm here to play. Right. Right. I'm here to play. It still still falls back to a a mental approach, telling your body and mind what you wanted to do so it can calm down. Yep. And I'm here to play. And I want to be excited. And I want to be activated. I want to be energized for this. Um, if it gets too much, that's not going to be very helpful. Right. And so that's that's one of the biggest challenges. One thing that most people don't understand about that stress response, that activation of the sympathetic nervous system, is it flashes on faster than a heartbeat. Mm. But it takes like 20 minutes or more for it to completely fade away. So all those people who are like, oh, I don't, I'm nervous. I've got butterflies. Okay, calm them down. How do I do that? It makes it worse. Right, right. But it's like, hey, I'm here to play. And as soon as I start playing, my energy is going to go in the game. And I'm ready for this. And I got this. And I'm excited. I'm bold. I'm going after this. Then it creates a whole different kind of mindset when you step out on the court. Right. And and what I'm saying, too, is like you got two different um, energies. you got the intrinsic part, whereas you're thinking about, you know, negative thoughts. Then you mm-hmm. got the extrinsic where you got, you know, like you said, seeing a guy that's 
seven feet tall or, you know, <laughs> seeing the game about to start in two minutes, you're not ready. All these different type of things are just, just coming at you at once. So, you know, some of these things are self-inflicted, what it sounds like, and you, and you, and you also have to be strong enough to get yourself out of it. And that's the challenge sometimes. Cause sometimes our thoughts can just kind of like overtake us. And again, they take us down this path and it's like, okay, that's an ugly path. That's, that's not, that's not the path I really want to go down. Right. That's not the path of optimal performance. That's the path of being self-conscious out on the court. And that doesn't work very well. Right. So stepping into the space of, all right, so I'm activated. Okay. Let's let it go. I'm here to play. I've been practicing hard. Let's see what's going to happen tonight. I'm going to go after this. Right. And as we do that, then we're going to be better able to, um, really focus on our play. See, we're there to play basketball. We're not there to worry about how we play basketball. Awesome. Awesome. And with that kind of phrase, one of my favorite ways to describe this is the peak performance match point by point the characteristics of a child at play in a sandbox. So I'm at play here. I'm focused. I've got the skills to meet the demands of the task. Everything I'm seeing is working together. And I'm just having fun. I'm enjoying this. Right. What I, what I try to relate is um, we talk anxiety and butterflies, which we now know I got a different word for as, as activated. Yeah. So think about someone being in the slump, right? Yeah. This person averaged 15 points the last four games, and he had you know, eight points the last three games. Now he's he's in a slump slash depressed, right? Yeah. Right, because that's really what it, what, it, what it really is. How do a player can get out of depression? Because that coaches, prior to me understanding the cognitive development and how much you know the mental focus is, you tell a player, "Oh, go shoot more, go practice more." Right, right. but it has that person that still haven't done any therapeutic approach mentally to get them out of that that slump. Mm-hmm. Talk about that in, in, in some ways that can kind of help that out for athletes. You know, having somebody write out their experience or the story of being in that slump is really a powerful thing. When did it start? Why mm. did it start? Mm. Did it just happen to start in the game where that tall guy, like, just, okay, he didn't get any shots that night. That guy blocked everything I was throwing up, you know, just like, boom, you know. And um, then it comes back to there's always a fact, and what did he make it mean? So this meant I wasn't very good. This meant I was embarrassed. This meant I failed. I didn't support the team right. I didn't do what I should have done. And so having them write out the story of what the slump is about and what the slump is like is really, really important. Because mm. they identify, they got to go identify the problem first. Yeah. That's and then they got to look at how this story is pulling them in a negative direction. And... Then we got to come back and start to say, okay, how much of this is technical skill mastery issues? Go practice more. Mm. Probably not a lot. And how much of this is more of the emotional side of what it means? Who said something? Uh, how did the parents respond? How did the coach respond? How did the other members on the team respond? And what are they still dragging around? What are they still carrying? So to me, that slump um, has another part to it that's also very important. None of us are 100% consistent, okay? So we're off the average. Well, the person in the slump doesn't realize that means they're going to go back to the average. Mm. Mm. So we always fall back to the average. Statistically, there's a thing called regression toward the mean. We just come back to that average. So if the average is 15 points and now they're shooting – eight all right well here's a chance to go closer to the average yes yes and so let's design the mindset that tonight's game we want to get you taking 15 shots okay that's that's our plan we're going to get you taking x number of shots what's the mindset you want to bring to taking each one of these shots how do you want to check that are you ready to go out there and raise your average because again the next night he shoots 30 points well, he's not going to do that every night. Right. right. <laughs> if his average right. is 15, he's going to go from 30 back to 15. He's not going to stay at 30. 
Right. That'd be nice, but it's a new average. I mean, that'd be, um, and so just recognizing that the ups and downs in playing, because there's so many factors in terms of emotional, physical, the social thing, the, the venue, all these factors are like circles that are kind of like zipping around. Now we love it when they align and we're just like, boom, we've got a really hot game. Right. But let's say it started with like a cold and he wasn't feeling very good and then add some emotional stuff and pretty soon it just kind of starts to weigh on him. So it's really trying to figure out what's the weight that he's carrying and how to unload that. When you talk about the the mental development, of course, someone that's older, um, correct me if I'm wrong, may have a, a better sense of um, cognitive development as the older. So let's go into professional sports versus high school sports. Mm-hmm. Do you think someone that's in a slump would get better, would, would quicker turn that turn that around if they're in uh, if they have a more developed mind, or that's just from the expectations from the outside world? They'd be like, okay, you know what? He's in high school. He's got more time to develop versus pro. Like you should be doing this right now. What do you What do you think? Well, in some ways, the emotional and social expectations for the pro are so much higher than the high school or junior high school player. Hmm. And so if they're in a slump, that I mean, we've got announcers saying, and he's in a slump. Let's see, last game he only got eight points. You know, he's been averaging 25. He's down at eight. Let's see how he – well, well, you can just see the way he's walking. He just does not have any energy tonight. Right, right. Um, so really, uh, even at any level – we have to recognize there will be ups and downs in our play, in our activity. And the question is, at that level, it's not going to be a skill set mastery issue. They've, they've got the skills. So there might be something else in their space, mentally, emotionally. And it's usually around missing expectations, not doing what's expected, uh, not meeting their own expectations, probably first. Um, and then the expectation of others second. Um, I'm really big on a thing I call a debrief, a debriefing after every game, every practice. Hmm. And coming back to on a mental, emotional level, as well as on a technical skill level, what worked, what didn't, Hmm. what would I do next time in this situation? And so that's one thing I see happen so quickly as I work with people, as I coach them, as soon as they start to embrace this debrief process, they quit beating themselves up. And and I also think players have to take the masculinity out of it, right? Because um, these terminologies you hear all the time where the game is 90% mental or mind over matter, right? I'm just, I mean, honestly, just really figuring out what those things mean because now as I'm, you know, a, a veteran, um, I'm applying those mental approaches to the game but it's so Mm -hmm. hard not hard but it's it's so new to kind of um introduce younger athletes to that approach because like you said the column development is not there but through the practices and over over a period of time those breathing uh exercises you talk you're talking about i think it'll kind of catch up Mm -hmm. with with the with the practices per se absolutely now just imagine what's going to happen in your practices if your whole culture shifts and now you're yes. talking about being activated. Mm. And mm. when you say focus, you're not talking about being focused. Wouldn't it be great to say, let's just call Bob. Okay. So you're talking to Bob and he's kind of like just not playing real well and say, Bob, so what's your mindset right now? Uh, I'm hating this. Okay. That's not what we talked about pregame, is it? No. Well, what, what's that word you'd like to embrace? Okay, you got the third quarter's coming up. What word, what, you know, what kind of image, what kind of energy do you want to bring to this third quarter? Um, confident. Okay. Let's play a new game here. You're, mm. Every time you step on the court, you are confident. That doesn't mm. mean you're going to make every shot, make every pass. It means you've got this. You can handle it. You're playing the game. You're playing hard. Let's focus on the mindset. Bring that to it. And watch what happens. And and you know what? That's why most coaches have are great motivators because you cannot motivate 
you cannot get a kids to do what you want them to be done if you don't motivate them, if you don't build self-esteem, if you don't build their confidence up. And I think if that if that doesn't happen from a coach's or instructor standpoint, then you're relying on that kid to actually have to go and get that mental approach or that or that that information to kind of bring. And this and it probably wouldn't happen depending on where they are in their in, in their careers or in their cognitive development. What's fun is to start to think of this as a skill to practice and develop. Now, this would be like a completely off the wall kind of experience. But what if you showed up to a ball practice with a series of mops? Hmm. Okay, you got a bucket, you got mops. And today's practice is we're going to practice attitude mopping the court. Hmm. This isn't to complain about. This isn't stupid. This isn't boring. We are going to be just confident and excited, and we're just going to mop this floor and just do a great job mopping the floor. Hmm. Now, that, that's, that's a, an issue to practice. We don't practice mindset things very well. At all. At all. I have to practice this every time I mow the lawn because that's not necessarily on the top of my list to do, but it's like, okay, I'm going to, pre- I'm going to enjoy mowing the lawn. Right. <laughs> right. So taking back to my point, that's a good, great segue into that. Is that intrinsic motivation that allows you to, uh, don't want to mow the lawn, but then what, 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 what feeds the intrinsic motivation in us, right? What's, what, what, what sparks it? What's what's a trigger? Is it is it goals that we have set that want we want to attain those goals, or is something that that's a chemical response that each one of us has that we don't really know about? Because everybody got different types, different levels of motivation. Yeah. I think some is manufactured, and some are from biological. Well, one thing we do know is dopamine things that create incitement and anticipation are part of that motivation chemicals in our brain. But the one of the things that I like to focus on here, Jamal, is where do we decide? Can I decide that mopping the gym floor is an okay thing for me to do? And I can do it calmly. I can do it with excitement. I can do it peacefully. I can do it joyfully. See, even just acting, asking, you know, ball players what their attitude is about being in practice today. You're going to have a whole range of attitudes about just being in practice today. So you can try this. So next time you have a practice, just, you know, have everybody identify what kind of mindset, what kind of attitude they have about being in practice right now today. And take a big breath. Just let that go. What would be the most optimal attitude we could bring to practice and practice keeping it here? Mm. Mm. And so suddenly you're watching somebody get really negative because they missed that three-point shot for the fifth time, mm. and they're getting really mad. Then you can start to say, okay, let's check the attitude. Check I'll, the mindset. I'm, I'll, I don't want to cut you off, but i I got to make this point that you made a, you made a good suggestion that if you, if you line 12 players up and ask them what's their mindset today, you're right. You're going to get ahead girlfriend problems. Yep. You know, I'm missing home. Um, I got – two papers that that's need to be due tomorrow. And I'm in practice right. right now. Right. So if you think about all those different uh, uh, mindsets and you're trying to get practice done, there's no, as a coach, we're not doing anything because we don't have the kids that aren't present right. at that time. Yeah. And so then we wonder why, you know, we're missing shots or this play is not getting performed when there's continuity from five plays and make it happen. Well, we got three players that's really present and two that's thinking about off-the-court problems they're going on. Well, and what a challenge that is for any coach because you've got all these kids and their minds can be anywhere. And what your challenge is, again, to bring them to this moment right here in town, you know what, you can, what you've seen when everybody's, like, unified, when the whole team is, like, right here, they're present, they're just in the moment of it. That is one exciting experience for players and coaches. Yes. And so one thing you're describing here is the ability to set that up. And it's like, um, I, I just got a thought here. What if, as everybody came onto the court, okay, write out whatever's negative in your space, write it out, run it through a shredder, because that's not going to be on our court tonight. Mm. <laughs> 
they 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 released it and threw it away. Yeah, it ran it through the shredder, ripped it up, threw it away. Okay, we're tonight we're gonna step out here, and what do we want to bring? We want to bring for the next, you know, however long this game is gonna be, we want to bring an intensity, a focus, an excitement to our game tonight. That's what we want on our court mentally and physically. And if it's not there, we got to practice bringing it back. Yes. In in closing, John, um, we do something called the oatmeal recipe, what we um, design. And it's three ingredients in oatmeal recipe. And it's um, nutrition, um, skill development, and then social competency slash uh, education. And I want you to talk basically on those three topics and how peak performance can be effective from those ingredients. Um, first one, uh, nutrition. Well, if you're really in a peak performance mindset and you're thinking what's going to be best for you physically, emotionally, athletically, you're not going to go for the milkshake. So I could see how, I mean, who doesn't know what are on the good list of things to eat and the not so good things list, list okay? Right. But the, the challenge is when do we choose the not so good for us? So, again, you could look at that idea of nutrition in terms of just specifics in terms of nutrients, because we've got to have the fuel to be at the level we want to be at. But also nutrition is part of what nourishes us. Right. And so, again, how do we bring in the emotional, the sports psychology skills to nourish us mentally is another part of nutrition, if yes, you will. Yes, good point. Good point. Okay. So if we look at that, let's say – so nutrition was the first one. What was the second one? The second one is a skill development. Every game is a chance to practice developing your skills. And every, you know, every practice is that. And we just want to keep developing skills. Right. And so the better mindset we bring to practices, better mindset we bring to games, the more effective we're going to be in developing the skills. And I think really helping young performers, especially young athletes, um, develop the attitude of being the student, the learner. They just, okay, I'm here to learn tonight. And that's a skill in itself. When you're talking about, you know, transforming those positive mindset into, I mean, negative mindset into a positive mindset, right? Yeah. Dealing with the anxiety pregame, dealing with the depression, being in the slump, all that is a, is a skill set that that it's called a skill set in order to overcome those things i think and those really are the competencies you're talking about right right and and the last one is social competency and and what we've talked about today just being competent in how to handle anxiety being competent in how how to handle depression and that's one thing again that's on just new on our list that the social competency has, has been huge for us because um that's an untapped uh, uh, approach per se, because again, we talk about cognitive, behavioral, emotional, those things are mostly, like you said, um, I think treatment effects, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I think the social can be a preventative approach if, you know, in the social, the definition of it is um, going through something, experiencing it, so you're going to know how to relate it to you next time you see it again. And that's right. what we do is huge as far as the social side of it, of dealing with uh, conflict resolutions, adverse situations, right? So um, um, the social competency and the education part is the last ingredient, and I'll let you touch base on that of, of how the peak performance can be effective with those with that ingredient. Well, one of my favorite peak performance skills that I like to talk about is how we deal with disappointment. Like the skill set we need to develop around a disappointing experience or performance uh, night on the court, that is so powerful. I've talked to too many athletes, too many performers, musicians, where that poor performance never leaves them. Hmm. And oftentimes they'll quit before they'll confront that again. And so really, when you look at these competencies, we're talking about how do we deal with success? How do we deal with disappointment? How do we deal with um, the social context, the groups we're a part of? Um, you know, if we lost the game, we didn't play well, 
you know, kids are walking through a high school. What, what, what kinds of things are they hearing the next day? Hey, that was, man, you played really hard. I mean, that's, that was a rough loss. Or it's like, what happened last night, dude? Where were you? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those things, again, players, depending where you at cognitively, they can be detrimental just hearing yes. that, those situations. So again, it takes another skill to hear that negative information. Uh, write it down, put it in the shredder and get rid of it. I, I like, I like that approach, even from a, uh, just doing it in person or just thinking of it, writing it down, getting, getting rid of it. I think that's just cleaning your slate is a nice, nice way to do it. Another fun way I've done this with kids before is like, if you'd reach in your head right now and grab any belief or attitude in there that's negative, pull it out and throw it in the trash, do that. What would you put back in there to replace it? Positive. You know, and I've seen that work with, uh, this is boring. This is stupid. No, this is fun. Yes. Oh, I hate this. I'm not any good at that. No, I'm learning this. Right. And I, 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 Natasha said something was huge. And I I taught this past Sunday about learning and failure, about uh, first attempt in learning. I thought that was wonderful. And I said Mm -hmm. to one of my kids in the group the other day, I was like, oh, Right. So they get it like and that made them feel better about going into the instruction. Right. Because they're so nervous about not doing well and don't want to be there. They don't want to look a certain way. But having those 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 pre pre talks with them, it kind of kind of helps smooth out um, the, 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 the effects when they're not thinking they can't do well. Well, and again, that's part of that skill to practice. I love what you're doing. I think it's amazing. I think it's exciting that you're working to help them. You know, what are they nourishing themselves with? What kinds of skills are they developing? What kind of social competencies do they need? And to help them deal with the successes and breakdowns, failures, problems that we encounter. Because um, the more successful we are, it's because we've encountered lots of breakdowns, problems, and failures. Exactly. Exactly. Well, John, it's been awesome. Um, we're going to have you on again. Ah, but, I can't you know, wait. Just, but just to, for the audience to hear the the – the, in the embryo stage of what we're trying to do and trying to bring to a head is just awesome. And I think um, I'm going, I've already embraced it and already started to implement some of these practices and our practices. So hopefully some more coaches and organizations can really focus on the mental side of the athlete, not just from the athlete, but from their side as well, identifying, right. And realizing and, 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 and talking positivity in their, in their team. I think um, this is a, a, is a great, a great way to, to kind of get that information out there. So I thank you for that. Well, thank you for this opportunity. I'm really ex- excited about what you're doing. And uh, one thing I see as the mental skills get developed, we're more willing to put ourselves out there and take those risks. The quality of what we're doing elevates and we're enjoying it a whole lot more. Yes. And that's one thing I get very, very excited about because yes. I really do believe in the phrase, let's risk, let's fail, let's risk again. It's just so much more fun. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, John. And um, we'll talk to you soon and get back with you. All right. Looking forward to it. So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. I want to thank John for coming on and giving us his wealth of knowledge about the mental approach, the mindset, and uh, how to control your emotions when you're having a good game, bad game, or what have you. Um, these things are very important. Um, so listen to it, adhere to it, and maybe try it in some of your your day-to-day approaches. All right? We'll be right back. What Jermel is doing with Today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes, first of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element, to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly to get the proper education and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college but i love what jermel is doing it's a wonderful program hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program because these are the kind of things that every community needs looking out for the best interest of the youth the future of this country is in our youth and everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that 
is absolutely wonderful, and and I can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what Jermel is doing, and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month.